Hello, my name is Anas Abdulhaq, and I am a writer and poet from Syria. My new comic book, Etheris, comes out on March 22nd, so we're here to talk about it, and welcome to a special episode of Power of X-Men. Enter now the age of apocalypse, Shiga, with your hosts, Dayspring and Scott Free. The name's Cable. Remember it. And the only people who can stop Apocalypse are the mutants known as Dayspring, Scott Free, and Michelle. This is Captain America, and we need to defeat Apocalypse. Ah, I cannot believe Etheres is coming out uh, congratulations thank you oh my god it's it's unreal i'm still like I, I don't believe it's actually happening like my first published comic book it's seriously next level and you know we got to know each other all of us all three of us through the podcasting scene and yes. you were you are part of geekable yes i started geekable back in like 2020 and it was a it was a wild ride, and I'm like honestly, I was so glad to meet people like you who were just like so welcoming to the community, and I just felt like it was home, you know, like my people. I found my people. I think this was before your time, Scott, but we recorded with Geekable maybe like a year and a half ago, and we did Hawksbox, mm -hmm. and we ended up doing like a three and a half hour recording, which was like a crossover event, and that was part one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <was> part one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. We will we will keep it a bit shorter than three and a half hours. Uh, <laughs> I came ready to party. I was like, for folks at home, I was like, oh, you know, I'm not trying to drink, so I'm not going to drink on camera. But like, here we are with a bottle of wine because I came ready for a three and a half hour episode. <laughs> <laughs> but Ennis, why don't you tell us about? Etheris and the work you put into this. It's a beautiful book. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, so Etheris is a one-shot. It incorporates both poetry and prose, and it tells the story of a recently deceased woman who finds herself in a realm where souls go when they don't belong anywhere else. So no heaven nor hell, it's just somewhere in the middle, and this realm is called Etheris. Um, it's, her story is basically just her trying to navigate this realm, which is this fantastical, you know, very vibrant, colorful world. And she's guided by this creature uh, that's like a horned feline hybrid. And that was kind of like my my Cheshire cat moment. You know, like I, I love Alice in Wonderland and I needed a Cheshire cat moment. So we had to have like a guide guiding her through this realm. And she goes through these trials and tribulations that force her to confront her past and who she is and who she believes she is and why she thinks that she deserves to be there. And yeah. I, I'm so glad you mentioned the Alice in Wonderland analogy because that's the first thing I thought about. And, you know, <laughs> you can walk me. We're going to air this episode once the the book comes out. So spoiler warning for spoiler everyone. Warning. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers everywhere. But and Scott, I want to I want to hear your your thoughts on this. But when I saw her kind of coming out of the I, I call it in my head, I call it the egg. You know, she's kind of like it is an egg. Out. And, and 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 you did you call it the familiar or the shadow when the, the creature. creature first the creature when the creature first showed up? 
I did see like that very Alice in Wonderland. Like she had passed, she went through the rabbit hole, and now I I I thought of it as the ether. And and here she is, and she's confronted by that. And I love that literary allegory that could only come from a a poet. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I I think especially the the art, which is very surreal in places, very gives it a very strong uh, Alice in Wonderland vibe. I really loved that. I can't take credit for that. That that art is by Dennis Menier, who is a phenomenal artist. This is his very first comic book, if you can believe it. I, no, I he can't believe never, it. You guys he has did never an interview. done sequential pages before. You guys this did is his an, debut. You guys did an interview with like someone. I'm forgetting. I, I saw it a couple of weeks ago, and 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 he was saying that this was his first ever comic book. He said something like, "You wouldn't know me from anywhere," and I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like when I started working with Dennis on these pages, this these were the very first sequential pages he's ever done. I've I'd only seen like illustrations that he's done, and I was like blown away by his work. And I was like, we need to work together. And he killed it. He knocked it out of the park. What happened there? Did you just slide into his DMs? I literally slid into his DMs. Yes, he <laughs> <laughs> he posted on a Facebook group. It was like a a, a dummy a sock a sock puppet account. Um, no profile picture, nothing. It was very shady. And it was like, hey, like, I'm giving this comics thing a try. If anybody wants to work with me, here's a link to my Instagram. And I go to his Instagram, like, this is too good to be real. But I DM'd him. And this was like over a year ago, I think a year and a half ago at this point. And we became such good friends. Like, I seriously consider him family at this point. We talk every single day. And he's such a phenomenal person and a very talented artist that I'm just... I feel honored to have had this opportunity to like show his work to the world, you know? That's yeah. probably the nicest story to come out of somebody sliding into somebody else's DM. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> but, okay, so here's the thing that I'm I'm curious about because we were talking about this before we hit record on on Zoom. You are you're an you are a poet. That is sort of where you began, and you've brought in that poetry to a comic book medium, which historically has ne- the two have never married. So I, yeah. I have a couple of questions about your approach for that, and also how do you go about talking to Dennis about about the, the, what you're conjuring in your head, where it's not more literal, but maybe let's say lyrical, a bit more lyrical than than what you can describe. And at what point do you just pass a buck? to the artists and allow them to grow those pages on your own. So I started writing, you know, I started writing poetry. That was the very first thing I've ever written was a, was a poem. And my poetry has always been very inspired by Arabic poetry, which is very reliant on rhyme and melody. It's very like structured and melodic and it's almost like a song really. And I grew up loving that kind of poetry. And when I started reading more English poetry, the contemporary stuff really didn't mesh with me very well. So I'm kind of like old school when it comes to that. Um, and yeah, I wanted to incorporate poetry in comics because those are my two passions, my two loves. You know, I wanted to bring them together. And that was the very first thing I did when I released my first comic book, which I self-published. It was do exactly that, but it was very abstract, way weirder than Etherist. And I was worried that people were not going to, you know, get it or, you know, be interested in that kind of weird kind of niche. But I was very fortunate that the indie comic book community really embraced it and found something very different to appreciate about it. And so I was like, 
you know, screw it, we'll, we'll go for more. And, <laughs> and then after that, I did Objects in the Mirror, which was even weirder. And Etheris is my, my third book, and the first one that actually got picked up by a publisher. Uh, as for, you know, working with Dennis, I, I, I write the script. I have the visuals in mind. I know the story that I want to tell. And, you know, you, as you notice, like the poems are all in splash pages, which are these, in, you know, you know, kind of like um, interludes between the chapters of the book. So I have the visuals in mind. But at the same time, I like give him complete creative freedom. I'm like, this is what I think. But if you have anything that is different or you think you, this could be executed in a better way or portrayed in a different light, you have the green light to do whatever, whatever you want. I, I have full faith in you. And he did. A lot of times he would like, take those creative liberties and always would blow me away with his you know, vision. And it would suit my work so well. Like the, he would elevate it, really. And so I think, you know, that kind of creative synergy is very rare to find. And that's why we work so well together. I I am so blown away right now because I remember when we were just doing our crossover episodes for our, our podcasts. And now here we are. And you're in previews. You're in fucking previews now. And we're promoting your book. That is so wild to me. I know. I know. It's 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 really surreal. I'm it's it's been my dream to be in previews, you know, to see something I worked on being like the previews magazine. That was like my dream for the longest time. And it was like a bucket list check right off. Scott and I were in New York in the like two thousand and seven ish era. Were you there, Scott, in the two thousand seven ish era? Uh, a little before my time. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, fine. Grand Paul Dayspring was in New York in 2007, and there was no poetry scene in Brooklyn. And I know that's so hard to like conceptualize because there was there, Brooklyn just wasn't what Brooklyn is today. And there was a poet there by the name of Ben Fama who sort of rebelled against the institutions that were being like implemented on him, and he would be doing like dramatic readings of Moby, but through a clueless vernacular, right? Like, and stuff like that. And just sort of like redefining what poetry meant. And I feel like with what you're doing, especially with the comics you're bringing to the table, you are creating this intersectionality with comics and poetry, which has never been done before, but also you're, you're, you're respecting what, poetry means to you and the lyrics that go into it and how symphonic it can be. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, I, I feel very, I, I'm glad that I got the opportunity to tell this story, which is like, all these stories are very personal to me. Like I, I know that they're out there and I know that they're, you know, I, I, I wrote them in a way that I wanted them to really be abstract so that anybody can apply themselves to the story and kind of get something out of it for themselves like Valerie's background, it's it's blurry. You don't really know what she went through, what kind of traumas she experienced to get to where she is right now. And I, I knew that if I self-inserted my poetry into it and it was very personal and very clear and direct, it would kind of like take away from the story. And I want it to be like more of an engaging experience. And that's really what I wanted to do. Just let the reader decipher and, you know, apply the story to themselves. And I, I think... You know, from what I've gotten right now, from the reception that's that's you know the book has gotten, every every friend that I that, that's read the book has gotten something different out of it, and I love that. It's like my favorite thing. Like, how did you how did you get the ending? Like, what what did you think the ending was? You know, it's it's very fun for me. 
Well, that's what I wanted to also ask. Like, what do you want the reader to take away from from the journey, from where she ends, and all that stuff? I, I'm. Just I think it's as a as a as a concept. The whole story is about self forgiveness mm-hmm. and you know dealing with that self loathing and self hatred that we all kind of have sometimes. That inner saboteur voice in our heads. That's what? always. What are you talking about? Down. That's that voice is never present for us, <laughs> Scott. We're, we never have inner saboteurs. No, completely <laughs> focused on the goal. Always. Yeah. We're always so happy. <laughs> and yeah, it's really like, you know, confront your demons head on as soon as you can, because you're going to take them with you. Like, they're not going to go away. Creators always hate this question, but like, what was your your inspiration behind, like, like the sto- like where did the story come from? Okay, well, we're going to get dark for a second. <laughs> but, yeah. Look at um, the power of X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> Give us those inner demons. Yes. Um, so my dad passed away late 2018. And that's when I started writing the poems. We had a very tumultuous relationship. We were not on speaking terms for several years. And I, wa- I needed a way to process that. Like this, all the, all the feelings that I had towards him. And now that they were just... That I had nothing to do with them. There was no closure. There, there was no way to release those emotions and I needed to release. So that was how the first poem was born. Just thinking about how someone would cross over to the other side. And as I kept writing more poems and, you know, fleshing out this world that they would end up in where they're not a good person, but they're not a horrible person either. It's just, they do bad things because people are imperfect. And the story started coming together. And I was like, this, this could be something. And the name Valerie came to me because I'm I'm a huge, you know, Amy Winehouse fan. So I was like, okay, one of my favorite word, you know, songs, put in the words Valerie and built the story around her character, really. I love that idea of what you were saying that what happens to to someone when they die when they're neither good nor bad, right? And and that's sort of how I mean, it's what it means to be human. It means about like the spectrum of humanity. Yeah. No one no one is no one believes they're the villain of the story right everyone thinks they're the hero of the story and it reminds me a little bit of what you were saying when grant morrison when their father was passing and they were writing here comes tomorrow and Mm -hmm. here comes tomorrow which new x-men finale swan song here comes tomorrow was a meditation on death and you can sort of see it when phoenix says death is part of the natural order new life will come and I'm curious, how did you confront writing this and and sort of putting everything together with Valerie and and her journey? How were you able to like kind of conceptualize these complex ideas about death and what happens to the soul and the journey we all take after we take our final breaths? <laughs> well, sorry, that's like a really dark question. No, it's it's. I think it's very relevant. Um, so like part of my background is like I'm from Syria, and unfortunately, I've had to live through you know several years of the war there and so death has always been on my mind it's always something that's been around me unfortunately and i've had to like tackle these questions from a very young age like where do we go after we die you know uh how do you know if you're a good person how do you know if you're going to go to heaven when you die and i've i've always tackled with those questions and i don't think there's ever going to be a clear answer so this was just my kind of take on where someone would go and I, i wanted to make it beautiful i wanted to make it you know vibrant and also, uh, you know, I, I wanted to tackle self-reflection because I think that's very important. Like, 
if there is judgment at the end of the day, um, I think it's it's us who are judging ourselves. Like we are the best for people to to be able to, to you know to distinguish whether what kind of people we were in our lives, and you need that kind of self awareness and that kind of confrontation, and no one can do that for you. You need to like take that step yourself. And I needed to put Valerie through that. I need to put her through situations where she would be forced to confront her demons and confront her past and ask herself, I hate myself so much. Like I'm a horrible person, but why, what have I done? You know? And eventually she needs to come to peace with who she was and what she did and her actions. And so she can move on. So walk me through when Valerie towards the end, when she sees this ghostly image that looks familiar to her, but she can't quite put it. Is that, is that Valerie? And no. she's, so no. it can be if you, if you see it that way, but for me, right now, while I was writing the script, that person was Etheris. So Etheris is not a realm. It is a person. It is a title. And it is the person who does not belong in anywhere else. And they hold the balance between the underworld and, you know, the, in the afterlife. So when she approaches them, she sees her reflection in that person because she recognizes their pain. She knows that they are like her. They feel the same way about themselves. And then she understands that it's her turn to take their place so she can carry the balance and she can, you know, be Etheris. So Etheris is a deity that watches over the realm. And then when Valerie dies, she goes through this journey and ascends to to that mantle. Yeah, Basically. Oh wow! I did not. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fuck yes. <laughs> Sorry, Scott. You can go. <laughs> I'm geeking out now. No, I I also didn't pick up on that until now. Fuck! So, I, I thought mean, Valerie was going to heaven. I thought everyone Valerie was gets like their own. Everyone gets their own ending. Everyone sees it in their own way. I would love to see what like I would love to know what you you thought of it. What did you see at the ending? No, I'm a I'm a moron. I just I I, I picked up. <laughs> I was like, okay, so she hatches from this Krakoan egg. At first, I thought she was going through like, like she she had died in something. I thought this was like more a, like a futuristic like war was happening here, and I thought she had died. She had hatched in a he- egg, and she had to kind of go through this process of resurrection. Right? That's the X Men nerd in me right now that <laughs> thinks everything is a reaction to Hickman, but. <laughs> As she was going through it, I was like, oh, okay, so this is the afterlife for her. She's confronting the life she had. She has to grapple with a lot of that regret, a lot of that turmoil that she experienced. And then we got the flash of someone writing as mm-hmm. well. I thought that was you, the author, inserting <laughs> themselves into the story. And then she goes back into that realm. And at the end, she confronts who she is, and she's able to ascend to a higher plane of existence. Which that works. Not too far off, though. I just yeah, didn't it think works. Like I'm Etheris telling you, was a mantle. Everything you said works. Like if you want to see it that way, that is 100% valid. And what matters is what you got out of it. That's what what I care about, really. What about you, Scott? Uh, I Paul puts it a lot more eloquently than I do. <laughs> the background of literary analysis, but I I drew largely the same conclusions as Paul did uh from the egg through the journey um to the end and you know viewed the ending as as sort of like an ascension um which i guess it it is is. yeah there's Uh, no mistaking with dennis's art there's no mistaking that valerie is ascending like that mm -hmm. is 100 percent there yeah Yeah. as Uh, for the 
the the page with the writing um if you notice like the lettering itself it all looks like it scribbles from a notebook yeah. and that was kind of the theme that we were going for like this is it would feel like it's sort of her journey it was you know her writing in her you know diary or her journal and just chronicling her last day or her la you know her afterlife and the original logo for ethers actually by the way was a wax seal that had the word etheris like in, you know, imprinted on it. And I really wanted to go with that because it just fit the whole aesthetic of having it be like a letter, like a sealed private letter that you're reading about someone's last, you know, last encounter with, with life. Um, but eventually we opted for like the classic logo because it's more, <laughs> more appropriate. But the, the wax seal logo was like my favorite one thing we did with the, for the book. I used to work in book publishing, the amount of time you spend on logos. And sometimes you, as an author, you sort of have to grapple with the idea that what you conceptualize is probably not the best, most approachable <laughs> for the market, unfortunately. Exactly. But I'm looking, I'm sorry, it wasn't loading before, but finally the, the PDF is loading. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's no mistaking that that's Valerie right there. But when I first read it, I didn't see that part. I just saw like the swept hair and I thought that was like, some kind of commentary on some kind of meta commentary. And that could be because I just read Zoe Thorogood's book. It's lonely at the center of the earth, which is so That's incredibly meta. Oh my yeah. God. It, it's such a great book, but it, I, I thought of that meta-ness here and I thought, Oh, okay. So Valerie has ascended to a point that she's breaking that fourth wall and we're seeing Annis and them writing this book and then we're going back and sort of like this plane on reality but no the art is clearly supposed to be empowering so that's just me being a moron <laughs> you know what i love that let's go with it anybody <laughs> ask what <the> was that? <laughs> oh th thank you for humoring us <laughs> humoring it's me it's such a better idea than just her writing a diary like come on no it's no like, it no, was no. a post meta criticism on on structure on storytelling <laughs> No, this is such a smart, refreshing, again, like, as I was telling you, I've been on an indie book, you know, sort of binge, and yours was, it's so incredibly different from everything I have been reading, you know, lately, and it's so defiant to structure, it's so defiant to narrative, and it, it really does take, it, it has cojones, because it's really doing something with world building, that not a lot of people have that, you know, fortitude to do. So congrats. I have not been reading a lot of indie comics lately. I've actually been on a Claremont binge. <laughs> so your actually your 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 prose, which was really con uh, was was great after reading like Claremont like purple prose for like the past <laughs> like Scott, you know. stop it. We're we're trying to get Claremont on the show. We can't bash those pros oh, maybe claremont's not coming but uh, <laughs> you're right claremont if you're listening no. to this podcast please slide into our dms well, no it, it's 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 a very like refreshing from like typical comic book sort of style like tech like like you know this is a comic book podcast we love comic books but there is a very sort of bombastic marvel dc sort of style and it's just like, oh, this is actually like reading a novel. And I feel like classy for once instead of like... <laughs> I like I feel classy. I just picture you in your beautiful Princeton townhouse, sipping some wine and like reading this and be like, ah, yes. 
<laughs> I'm sitting here in a basement. Like, what do you think I'm? <laughs> do you think I am? But 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 to Scott's point, this is you know this is really good pedigree in terms of writing, and this is the future of comics. This is what we hope. How about this? This is what we hope is the future of comics, where when we were all being called nerds on the playground because we liked you know X Men and Batman, and it it seemed this is higher pedigree of literature and by the way this is something that just started within the last few years i mean we as comic book readers have always known that comic books are very cerebral and are capable of high concept storytelling and that the narratology is just naturally baked in into into what we're reading but i don't think it was until adrian tomaway did did his book killing and dying and mira jacobs did her book and 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 Roz Chas as well. Can we talk about something more pleasant that people were like, oh, wait a minute, graphic novel, comic books, these are actually really good mediums to tell a story. I think the story could not be told in the same way or have the same effect if it was just a you know a short story or if it was just, you know, I I think it needed to be a visual kind of story because it works so so well. You know, you need the visuals to really sell the poems, to really put, you know, really make it punchy and make it pop off the page like Dennis's art just really I don't I don't know if I could have made this book with any other artist and I don't know if I could have made this book at all if it wasn't a comic book and I like I grew up reading X-Men and you know Marvel comics and you know I would love to do that stuff like Marvel hit me up like I will I will do classic bombastic <laughs> nerdy, nerdy comic book I'm not all pretentious I promise <laughs> slide into their DMs come on Marvel I mean, what you were saying, you can go back even further to like uh, Art Spiegelman, like Mouse, um, which is extremely powerful, extremely personal, but it it's the meshing of the mediums where it wouldn't be as powerful without the um, images, without the art, yeah. and the art wouldn't be that powerful without the story that accompanies it. And I think, you know, I saw this in sort of that tradition where it's it's high concept and they sort of marry together. If that makes sense. I'm, I'm really glad that, you know, we were able to accomplish that. Like being, you know, having Etheris mention the same sentence as Mouse, like, whew, holy crap, I made it. <laughs> <laughs> like Mouse is such a huge book and like such an impactful book. I read it so many times as a kid. And like, I basically learned about World War Two from Mouse, you know, so because I, I hated history lessons. So oh, it, it means a lot. Oh, okay. Wait. So when you're writing this, when you're writing this, who are some of your inspirations historically that you sort of drew upon when you were as you become a comic book writer? You know, yeah. making that transition from poetry to comic book writer. Again, there are not many poets who are comic book writers as well, or, or that intersectionality. So I'm wondering, where is the bar for you? Because there's a lot of really great world building here that I know is not available to people who are poets and, and comic book writers. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I freaking love Jeff Lemire, uh, oh, yeah. Ryan K. Vaughn, Jonathan Hickman, like... These are my people. These are the people I look up to the most. And if I can ever get to a point where I can craft a story and do so much world building and character development as Brian K. Vaughn, then I'll have, you know, I, I, I've lived a fulfilled life. Like, that's the goal. Um, yeah, Jeff, um, I've, I'm really inspired by him. Like, he did a book with Scott Snyder called AD After Death. 
Oh, I and it is, it is kind of like a weird afterlife story, but it's more sci-fi. Um, where they they really broke down the, the narrative or like the structure of comic books, and it was like one or two illustrations accompanied by prose, and there were like some some pages who were like classic the uh, classic comic book as well. That book was a huge inspiration when I was thinking about bringing this to a comic book format. Um, and I also took inspiration from the Lovely Bones. I, I love that novel. It's like I think it's a very powerful story. I think we've all read it or watched the Susan Sarandon movie. So. <laughs> Wait, was so. that the movie directed by Peter Jackson? Was it Peter Jackson? All I remember about the movie is it ruined Stanley Tucci for me for like a year after. Wait, that. what's it called? What's it called? The Lovely Bones. Lovely the Lovely Bones. Bones. Let's see. The yeah. Lovely Bones. I, I have not. So the director is Peter Jackson. Oh my god, uh, I had no idea. Mark Wahlberg is in it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And Susan yeah. Sarandon, and I think Saoirse Ronan in like her very first roles. Yeah. Oh, there's Susan Sarandon. Yeah. I. Yeah. Anyways, continue. It's a great movie. It's a great book. You know, it's it deals a lot with the you know passing and moving forward while also having to deal with trauma. It's fantastic. Um. So yeah, those were my inspirations while creating this. But in general, of comics, it's you know those three names that I named, brilliant writers and. Hopefully I get to, you know, maybe work with them someday or get to their level. I would be like <laughs> something. I, I definitely see the Jeff Lemire like inspiration, especially with um, the nobody. Was that the I think that's what Jeff his interpretation of the invisible man was. Mm -hmm. I if I was in my old apartment, I'd have the book right here and I could pull it out. But I don't <laughs> right now. Everything's in boxes. But I, I want to ask a question about trauma and and how the human soul metabolizes sort of that trauma and how do you think we as 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 humans sort of existing and even post what we define as existence the things we carry with us and how we sort of come to terms with it how how is that journey for valerie especially when she ascends into this this new mantle that's you know godlike yeah i think she just, you know, she carries so much. She's She's been through a lot, and a lot of it has been out of her control. You know, through the poems, you can kind of uh, see that she starts to realize that a lot of the stuff that she blamed herself for was not really her 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 fault, her, not, her, her decisions or her choices. Sure, she's messed up and she's done some bad things, but there was also a lot of circumstance. And for her to come to that level of, you know, ascension, I think she needed to, like, uh, in a way, get to get to this catharsis of like releasing all these, all this pain, all this emotion, and it and it, and it manifests in a physical way. You know the trials that she goes through with the forest. First of all, uh, basically caging her and you know keeping her captive, and she needed to break through that. That was her first trial. The second trial was the silver lake of like that burnt through her sins, yeah. and, and when she emerges from that lake and she looks back, when she has that like aha moment at the end. She looks back and the lake wasn't there. You know, the lake was just a manifestation of her pain. She was basically putting herself through like these trials to confront herself. And at the end, the mountain, which is like made of skin of the of everyone she's ever oh. known. And they start like scratching and gnawing at her. And she comes to that realization where like they were angry at me because I was in a stage where I was I would prefer to be alone than rather be loved because I, she couldn't love herself, you know? Yeah. And again, when she reaches the ascension, you know, level, 
you could see this page where the the panels start flying off to the top and then the egg is right behind her so this entire journey was just like a few steps really and it was all just her manifesting her pain through these trials well first of all yes like it, it, it's funny what the, the, i don't want to say like prisons but let's say trials that we put ourselves through and how a couple of steps can feel like an eternity and <laughs> that scene where she kind of landed on like the skin and you could see like the faces sort of coming out from it that reminded me of oh god what was that novel it, it was a movie with robin williams but it was i want to say the author was matheson it was what dreams may come, what dreams yeah. may were, what dreams may come. Dreams may come. What dreams may come, where the character lands in like hell and has to go through hell. And like you see this landscape of all these bodies just sort of like combobulated together. And it's, it is sort of harrowing. And that's what I was going to say when Valerie fell right there and you could see like the skin and like the faces sort of, that is truly terrifying. <laughs> you know i wasn't trying to make it like a horror book i, I tried to like not make it visceral i was like just like let's just have them shapes popping out from like under the mountain but like nothing really overly scary or spooky um but when you it's a mountain made of skin what did you think <laughs> like the fuck is wrong with you let's not make it any scarier or anything like that and it's in her mind that's the worst part of it all it's in her mind <laughs> That's your next your next project has to be horror now hands is, hands down it actually is my next project is horror with like a psychological thriller it's my Jessica Jones moment um, so it's a memoir <laughs> it is very neo noir and there's like a fantastical twist to it and there's a lot a lot of body horror oh. I actually just started working on it this week. Like we really in production. I got the logo sent to me and we're, you know, I sent the pages to the artist. We're going to start doing the preview and sample pages right now. Okay. Okay. Well, that eliminates what's next question. <laughs> we'll strike well, that from the outline. I, I, you know, I'm just, I, I'm keeping busy. I have like, I'm, I'm getting to a point where I, I, I want to keep producing. I want to keep this momentum up that I'm kind of, you know, building on and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm pitching several projects right now, and I'm hoping like one of them gets gets picked up, so that I could use that to like run through the other books and like just use that momentum from that, you know, book, and be able to finance the other these other projects and hopefully get them picked up as well for the other the publishers. So, fingers crossed, it's going to be a very stressful year, <laughs> but I'm excited. Can I ask what advice would you give comic book writers out there? And how to how to kick off their careers, how to sort of come to the table with their projects to take risks. What advice would you give them? Honestly, like the the one thing that worked for me, it was finding my community, you know, like finding my people and making these connections, having them read my work, having them actually critique it and tell, give me notes on how to how to improve was like the biggest thing that helped me. And those connections, those people that you start work, working with that you start off with, like from the ground up, they will be there for life. Like so many creators who are like top tier right now, like legends, they started off from the bottom together. Yeah. And you have to like find your people to start with them as well. You know, like I'm seeing my friends, my colleagues and like my peers getting gigs at like big publishers right now. And like, I can't say much about it, but like, I'm excited for them. Like, these are my friends. We started from nothing and now they're getting, they're getting big gigs. And I'm like, 
we are we are getting there together. And so community, number one thing, um, always be like, you know, willing to accept that you are not going to get it 100% from the get go, you're gonna, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna fail, you're gonna make mistakes. And you should really be open to like hearing that critique. A lot of people who come into the industry are like, I'm the next Mobius and I am the next, you know, Stan Lee. <laughs> they they wish they could be the next Mobius and do the Hermes like campaign. Like I love that Hermes campaign so much. I literally wake up in the middle of the night sometimes and just Google those images. <laughs> but I love Hermes and I love Mobius. So yeah, but like you you have to like work on it to get to that level. You're not just gonna you're not like you're not a miracle worker really. So just you know be humble, be yourself, find your community. But no, I mean, that's that's honestly like you were saying about keeping up momentum. It's like the greatest the greatest force in the universe is like inertia. If you stop, like you won't gain the momentum back and like you just have to sort of keep going forward. And it's like it, I think it's great that you are, you're like already on to like the next thing. And it's like that's the sign of somebody who's actually like passionate about like what they're doing is if you weren't, you like wouldn't be working on like body horror stuff <laughs> and, like, yeah I'm, I'm like i'm even keeping like a very open mind about what projects i'm working on like i'm not really sticking you know locking myself to one genre or one niche i would love to keep telling more stories in like this poetry abstract realm but i'm like i'm freaking working on like a middle grade graphic novel about magical cats you know like <laughs> i'm doing everything like i'm, I'm you know you can't tell me i can't do something i, I want to try every genre i want to like dip my toe in everything because I just, I love the medium and I want to tell stories in this medium regardless of what kind of stories they are. So that is such a perfect response because I agree. I think the comic book, graphic novel, OGN medium lends itself to, it, it brings something to the literary table, to storytelling, to narratology that other formats just do not bring. Right. And there's so many people who grow up thinking, or, you know, who are adults now who think like, oh, my God, graphic novels, those are for kids, you know, something ridiculous like that. And it's like, no, I mean, this is a level of sophistication in narrative and art. It, it, it's sort of it, it's sort of like so insulting that people would boil down comic books to something that's like mind numbing or garbage and stuff like that, yeah. especially when we have writers like you who are out there. Thank you. Well, you know, like. I would say a lot of my the people around me in like my direct vicinity who aren't really into the medium, they don't really take it seriously. Like I, you know, they don't see comics as as it could be like a career thing or it could be something that I could actually do or that I'm really that passionate about. You know, they think of it as like a hobby. Like, oh, you got published, good for you. Like there's not really they don't understand like how big this is for me. And so that's why I'm again, I'm glad to have like my community of people who understand what a huge, you know deal this is and how important this is to me and like how this is something that I've been striving for for a very long time and I'm finally like on the cusp and beginning this journey and it's it's you know it's good to have these people <laughs> in your life who who take you seriously okay so we're flash forwarding to one week from today we're recording one week in advance what are you doing on the day this comes out oh my god well, I'm probably going to be writing because I, I have <laughs> deadlines. Spoken like a true writer. Yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of deadlines. Um, but yeah, I think the day of, I'm going to be on my phone, practically shaking, 
refreshing my notifications just to see when the reviews start coming in because we have like a bunch of scheduled reviews to come out on the 22nd and I'm terrified of them. Uh, Dennis is convinced that some people are going to really hate it and not get it. I'm trying to keep him like, be like, no, like they're going to get it, but I'm not really sure if they're going to get it. So I am scared. It's, you know, it's, uh, it feels like very weird to be perceived at such a large scale. Um, so many people that I don't know or like that aren't familiar with my work have ordered the book just because they like the art so much. So I'm like, yeah, my my face and my my name is going to be in like the hundreds of comic book shops around the world and people are going to pick it up and read it and they might really hate it. <laughs> and that's terrifying. Like, I'm, I don't want to be perceived, you know? <laughs> but, but being hated is part of what it means to be an artist out there. Feared and hate it like a mutant. <laughs> I'm fine with fear. They can fear me. <laughs> they can fear you. No, I mean, listen, objectively, I mean, you're a very talented writer. Dennis is a very talented artist. Can so sort of some of the higher concepts that are trying to be delivered go evade some people? Of course, always. But I don't mm-hmm. think anyone objectively can look at this book, go through it, and be like, oh, it's not good. Like, no, anyone who's saying that is just being mean. Like, this is objectively um, well written. We'll see. We'll see. I, I, I'm excited to see people getting it in their hands. Sadly, I'm not going to be able to like go pick it up from the local comic book shop. So I'm like asking everyone to like, if you go to your shop and it's there, like send me a picture from of it on like on the shelves. Like I need to see it in print. I need to see it out in the wild. To feel like I, I, I did this. You know, like it's a, it's such a dream come true. Honestly pre-orders and like early first day sales are really important for books so get out go to your local comic book store um support this if they don't have it ask them to order it uh because that's all taken into account with like oh, yeah. sales and back-end businessman stuff so for sure. people can just go up and be like hey i please order this comic for yeah. me yeah, like there's a code that you give to your local comic book shop and they can just order for you. And the more people that order, like if you ask ask your shop for a copy, they are really more likely to like get more shop- copies for the shop to like stock them. So that really helps as well. So like we, you know, our FOC, our final order cutoff was the 28th. And we did like two months of intense promo just to like get people to pre-order because the more orders come in, the more sales we're going to make. And I'm not going to say like it was a, a you know a huge financial success but like I it, I will say that it was we sold hundreds more copies than I did on my last project which was like crowdfunded so I am very proud of the work that we've done and I really hope that it resonates with people and that they enjoy it and that's all that you know I did all I can do at this point All right so where can folks hit you up tell you how much they loved it where can they <laughs> where can they connect where can they slide into your DMs uh, you can slide into my DMs on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, the same username on um, both is is Enas underscore Abdulhaq, which is my name and surname. And uh, yeah, that's you can tell me how much you hated it or loved it. Any any criticism is good criticism, and I hope you I hope you love it. Obviously, but yeah. 